music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield. It's the Hivecast, and I am here with one of my heroes. When I say that, I mean that in every way because I will never forget the moment that I first heard the first notes of Our Friends Electric from Gary Newman. I remember exactly where I was and what was going on in my life. I was in South. I was in Clearwater, Florida, where it was like, you know, I was I was across the street from where the Stones wrote, Keith wrote the riff for Satisfaction at a little hotel. But I was where my sister lived. And it, most of the stuff coming out of the radio was Southern Rock. And yeah. all of a sudden, I heard our friends Electric and went, what the fuck is this? This is the coolest thing ever, man. I was obsessed so much, Gary, that I actually got on a train. It was the only time I ever decided to take Amtrak to and from Florida and decided never to do it again. I, uh, I remember all the way home trying to figure out and remember what the name of the band was. Like, I just remember something Army. I didn't know, like, you know, any of it, but but it was one of those things that I still tell people all the time was a life-changing moment because... It's one of the most important records in history, in my mind. So, anyway, welcome Gary Newman to the Hivecast. Gary, good to see you, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, you grew up in what part of England? Where Where were you from? Uh, I was born in London. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And lived most of my life in that southeast corner. Yeah. In, what town was that? What, what was that part Ireland. of? Well, uh, a number of them. I lived in a place called Ashford, Middlesex. Yeah. Um, then I moved to Essex, which is just north of London. Yeah. Uh, and into Sussex, which is just south of London. So it was always around yeah. that part of the world. You know? Well, you always wanted to be a pilot, right? And then you became a pilot. I mean, that was one of the things that the success of those early records. Well, I was torn. When I was a, when I was a kid at school, I, our school used to overlook Heathrow Airport. You could see the airplanes coming in, day in, day out. And I liked the feel of that. I liked being able to just go to other places. So, And I'm fascinated by technology, machinery, airplanes yeah. in particular. Uh, but I love music as well. So the two of them were sort of subs, and I couldn't make up my mind which which way to go. And then one day we had a careers talk at school, and they gave some really bad advice actually about the chances of becoming a pilot. And it seemed to me very unlikely. So I decided that I'll go for music instead, really. And well, then T Rex came along, yeah. Mark Bolan, and I loved all of that stuff. Oh, and yeah. that really sucked me into the whole. You know, yeah, those records, all those life, records yeah. in a row, like Ride a White Swan, Hot Love, you know. Yeah, loved all that. Get yeah, it and on. it was that, I mean, that, that as much as anything swung yeah. me, that, that's what I wanted to do. So. Yeah. What were your favorite, I mean, you loved Electric Warrior, I know that, but I mean, yeah. did you love Slider too? Did you buy all Slider was my favorite. I love Slider. Yeah. People underrate Slider. I think that's a great album, oh, start to finish, man. Yeah. Ballrooms of Mars, you know, like Rabbit Fighter. There's so many great tunes. Baby Strange, I mean, yeah. that record, one of the coolest records ever. Yeah, and really I think for its time, quite a bizarre record. It was. And it I was. would be a bizarre record for somebody that just become a big pop star to make because it was a little bit off the wall at times. Yeah, it was. And I thought it was brilliant. That's why it was great. That's why I loved it. So it yeah. made me gravitate towards you because yeah, I loved how different what you were doing was. Um, and I love those T Rex records as well. What else were you loving as a kid? Like, what you remember some of the first forty fives you bought back when you were a kid? Like, uh, with T Rex, I get uh, long before them. I, when I was about ten, I used to like the Monkeys. Yeah, I remember the monkeys. Those records are great. And I, we used to have a band in our street called, not a band as such, but a group of us in our street would go into people's houses, and we would mime. We put records, put monkeys' records on, and mime to them. Well, like I'm a believer in Leicester and Clarksville and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I was Mike Nesmith in yeah. the band. And my mate who I met the other day for the first time in 30 years actually in Atlanta, he was David Jones, a singer, and there's another couple of kids that were the other people in the band. But we'd do that and get like sweet money. 
Yeah. Pocket money. So you can go buy like buy a candy yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you'd mime to it. That's genius, actually. That sounds great. <laughs> we couldn't play anything then. So yeah. used to mime to it. Yeah. Well, you sure figured that out otherwise later on. I mean, yeah. and it's funny, like, you know, I didn't, obviously I didn't discover you until I heard Our Friends Electric, which was life-changing for me. I love that record so much. But like the Tubi Army album before it and then the, the early singles were pretty straight ahead, like p- almost punk, but sci-fi in the same well, the, way. The, the first two singles were one called That's Too Bad, one called And Bombers, Bombers. They yeah. Were, they were both punk and remember they like put them together as a value pack that's how Later, i bought yeah, them they did, yeah yeah <laughs> <Value Sorry. pack. laughs> yeah but With, I oh, oh to... didn't i say and all the, and all the stuff yeah, on there yeah. Right, yeah um beggar's banquet the record label sent me to a studio to record what should have been my punk album my debut album and it was essentially the live set i went to the studio and there was a a mini moog synthesizer in the corner how much did the thing weigh? How big was it? Like they're not, they're not particularly big. They're they're really heavy for what they are, but not, yeah. not massive. You know, kind of the first of that generation of portable, non-modular. Yeah. Not like stuff. not the one used on Who's Next. You know what I mean? Right? No, exactly. Not like you know that. what I mean? No, like Anderson would. Yeah. So um, they, they let me have a go of it. And I was a. Uh, did, uh, did, did somebody leave it there? Or, yeah, yeah. Because I knew they left it there, and I read that and it blew my mind because yeah. it, you, you took it in such a different direction, but. Like, was did somebody leave it there like they forgot it, or was it the studio well, owned I, it? What was it about like with that? It's always cracks. I've read recently that, that it was actually belonged to the studio. I didn't realize that. At the time, I thought it was a hire. Yeah. So, so you're like, I'll take it home. No, no I, was, I was expecting something to come and take it away, so I was desperate to use it, you know, while it was still there. I only thought yeah. it was going to be there for a few minutes. And as it turned out, it was there for the next few days, so it, it probably did belong to the studio. But I, anyway, I played the yeah. key, and it made this amazing noise, and I... Fell in love with it. When you hear the intro, listen to the sirens, like, dum, 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 and you just go, like, yeah. "Was that one? What were some of the first? Well, all, all of my all of my songs were guitar songs. It, yes, was based in rock. Yeah. Really, it was. But you just put the use to the synthesizer, and that's why when the Foo Fighters or the Pixies or Frank Black or like Marilyn Manson or Nine Inch Nails, your songs, you could always your songs could be interpreted in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. That's what was so great about them. Yeah, you know? but, that, but that's how I came into it, though. I came into electronic music as a punk rocker. <laughs> yeah. And then I tried to convert my punk songs into electronic songs simply by replacing guitar parts with a synthesizer. Yeah. Um, and that's how it came to have the the instrumentation that it had. So it still had guitar, but it didn't, I didn't do the craft work thing, but it went all electronic. Yeah. I was synthesizing. But yours had but, more emotion in it. Even when even when the lyrics were about something cold, your songs still had emotion, and they were about real. I mean, it was like, you know, and I love that about yeah. it. Yeah, you know well, it mean? had that core. It had that guitar, bass, drums core to it. Yeah. The synthesizers added to that. Yeah. So it was essentially rock music as it had always been, but with just another layer yeah. added on top. And, and you, you know, that first record, uh, Toby Armour record, with like My Shadow in Vain and friends and something's in the house I mean, yeah. every day i die I was about one of my favorite songs about masturbation ever oh, i mean yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's such a great song every day i die it's so, so obvious what it's about but it's brilliant and that's what we love <laughs> you know people have written i mean obviously in every dream home a heartache by roxy right was like about a blow-up doll but your thing i mean every day i die was just so fucking great and it was that whole record i mean I, but i love so many of the records, and there was a jump with every record that you did. But I got, I got to ask you about that. So when you turned in that record to Beggars, who were basically at that time, the Lurkers, you know, there was probably the Carpets, or what are they called, the Carpets? I don't know how was that pronounced. Carpets, I think. Carpets. I like, I like those two punk records they had. I mean, they're just like you know. But before you doing what you do, it was like you know. I mean, you put that label on the map. It was probably 
what's the guy's name from uh what's, what's martin martin, Mar martin Mar mills yeah martin nice dude i know martin and i've always wanted to say to him I'm like dude what was the greatest records that put your label on the map you know <laughs> adele now and things like that with xl but yeah i mean those records it just killed it so when the first record came out gary what was the reception like to the two-way army album i mean because how much time was in between that and the single our friends electric because i i don't Only know a few months yeah. I, I, you were a kid. You were like 21, right? Yeah, well, 20 when I made the first one. 20, yeah. Um, went back to record company with that, and Martin and there's another man called Nick Austin, yeah. initially not happy at all because they wanted a punk album. Yeah. They'd signed me as a punk pop crossover yeah. sort of thing, I think. Off of That's Too Bad and Bombers and things yeah, like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and they were really not happy. But I was convinced that for, for, for me, electronic music was my future. That's what I wanted to do. And I thought it was going to be massive. And I wanted to be right at the cutting edge of it. I wanted to be one of the first people doing it. You have the first number one record that yeah. out of synth pop ever. But they didn't want to release the album initially. I mean, we really <laughs> had a, a massive stand-up, huge About that first record? Yeah, they, they didn't want to release it. And it was Martin that eventually said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll go with it then. Yeah. And the reviews it got were okay. They weren't fantastic, but it weren't horrible. And by the time that came out, I was already making the next one. Yeah. And that had our fringe electric on it and that went to number one. Yeah, replicas, man. And I mean I remember. Yeah. I remember seeing that dickhead on the top of the pops like acting like he made that face like this shit is so weird. It was almost great because he did what like Dean Martin did about the stones. So you knew it was a good thing. You know what I mean? Like you knew it was a cool <laughs> thing because it pissed off the establishment and it was a great thing. Our friends electric, like I said, for me, life changing song been covered by everybody like the guys in tool and failure did it with the replicants named the they even named their cover band after yeah. replicas replicants yeah. jack white did a great yeah jack white with the dead weather and by the way you know jack told me jack actually did that was the first thing they did when they sat together dead weather they're like well what should we do and they're like well let's do our friends electric and really? that was where it came from yeah that was it oh, that's cool. it was like the first thing they actually did when they sat to jam together you know what i mean um so it's just genius in my mind and what do you think about if you heard weezer's version too yeah 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 that's a good everybody covers covers those songs but they're brilliant yeah. what did you think of well when down in the park was used in x files did you like uh, wasn't that yeah. cool yeah oh, that was great <laughs> you know? well again there's been so many versions of that i mean manson did it yeah i mean did it Foo fighters have done it I mean, yeah the x files um just great yeah, because it's, it's not an, not an obvious song you would expect to be covered. It's quite no. slow and doomsteady. Yeah, you know it doesn't have a vocal chorus. Same as Our Friends Electric. There's no vocal chorus. To uh, you know, Courtney Love said to me, she goes, "Man, she goes, you know why Our Friends Electric is one of the most important songs ever? Because there's no chorus. It's just so great. But the chorus is the riff. That I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah. So you know, Spoke I read I read a great interview with you. I was dying because you know, hey, we're all young. We're like, we want to meet a woman or meet someone and you know have sex. And I read that you like when you wrote our friends electric. You part of it was about that receptionist, right, at Beggar's Banquet. Yeah. A little bit at the yeah. time. Bonita, SUs, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what's that? SUs, little oh, deals and SUs. Yeah, that was her name. SUs. Wow. Was her name. Oh my God, that's amazing. Things I just can't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Women, weird. you know. So when you recorded that that re when you started doing replicas, Gary, did you have any idea? I mean, obviously we're just following your heart, your own path, making that record. But do you have any idea how like influential it would be? I mean, you know, a lot of jerk off critics have tried tried to dismiss it back then, but all the people that love you, like myself, know how important that record was. And and we, you know, and time has shown everyone what what it meant. But what was it like when you first started recording it and you were going even more in that direction with Synths, with like me, I disconnect from you and, 
You know, I was just, I loved what I was doing. But I didn't honestly think that what I was doing at that point, the replicas and our friends electric, those songs, I didn't think they were the songs that were going to make something happen for me. I thought they were, not to say, really love what I was doing, very much trying to learn in my way, feeling my way with the electronic thing. I still figuring out how they worked, you know, what filter meant, what contour meant. All these dials and switches really, really stumbling along, quite yeah. amateurishly, really. But, you know, writing this stuff and just trying to make it all work. But didn't have, genuinely didn't think that Our Fringe Electric would be a number one single. It, it was just, it doesn't tick any of the boxes. It doesn't. That makes it. It's hit why single. it was so great. It's why it was so great. It was, but the first time you heard it, like I did, I know I keep kind of going on about it, but it was just like, for me, it was groundbreaking. It was like, what is this? And people have to remember what life was like at the end of 79 and earlier, like what radio was like in America, especially. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it was an unlikely success. So when you saw it becoming a huge hit in the UK, what was it like for you? Because you were still a kid. You were like 20, 21. Yeah. What was it like? Was it like, holy shit, here I am. Yeah. I've watched Top of the Pops all my life. I've watched T-Rex, Bowie, Slade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Everything you did, every <laughs> every program you went on, everyone you spoke to, it was all things that you dreamed about. There's no easier way of putting it, I'm afraid, other than that. Yeah. It's an amazing experience. What happens, though, is a whole load of other stuff that you didn't expect. The hostility that came with them. Um, with your success. Yeah. Probably uh, jealous people. The press didn't... English press is so fucking notorious for... You know, they're for you, then they're against you. They want to build you up and tear you down. So I you think can... what upset them more with me, um, and it's also very true that happens, but I hadn't done a single interview when our friends Electric went to number one. Nothing, nothing at all. So I think that made them even more angry because they hadn't even built me up to have the pleasure of taking me down. So they just took me down right, yeah. from, the, right from the world go. So on the one hand, I had this you know, tremendous success and all these people loving me and buying the record. And on the other hand, you had a, a large but influential group of people that first of all didn't like that record and resented the fact that I was becoming very successful with it, didn't like electronic music in general. I mean, I became the figurehead for this new genre that has suddenly exploded onto the scene and every- God, everything in it followed you, like everything. Before you was, before Soft Cell, Blamage, any of that stuff that was out at that time, you like, you paved the way for that, man. Yeah. Because Kraftwerk's a different story. And you know, Kraftwerk, it's, it was very, you know, it's interesting, but it's also very cold. Well, you were incorporating the elements of rock and like all that stuff together. I mean, yeah. you know, Kraftwerk were amazing. And yeah, and, ahead of and I love time. them too, but yeah. Uh, but they went the full technical route. It was yeah. just, Electronic, yeah. Uh, and what I did was to merge that with a conventional lineup and and cross across it over yeah. into conventional rock music. So many people talk about that. They say the fact that your songs can all be, even every one of your electronic songs can be interpreted by, you know, conventional instruments by guitars. And yeah. you know what I mean. And that's why what people have been doing and covering yeah. it for it years. It was it was just simply adding a layer of sound um, and sound structure because we you were creating our own sounds that hadn't been used before in that way so uh, you know i wouldn't say it was a revolutionary but it was a step forward to what we'd had yeah so gary replicas when you were making that record so all of a sudden our friends electric was the record already recorded replicas at that point it was a whole record done or were you still in the process of recording replicas when our friends electric was released as a no we'd finished it was done finished yeah. we were actually recording the next one i made three albums in in 12 months wow uh, the first one then replicas and pleasure, and then principle. pleasure principle came out 12 months after 
uh, the first the Chibri Army, the first yeah. album. Yeah. So we were in the studio starting to make record cars and those songs. Yeah. And our fringe electric went to number one. Yeah. So it was an amazing time. You, you know Complex I mean? was great too. You yeah. know the songs on that record. Yeah. They, and Asylum, that B side was like it just sounded very scary the minute you're like yeah it, it was side cool, in England but the yeah. side here was metal and I think yeah. metal should have been a, a single. single yeah metal's great yeah yeah well you know One Trent of, loves it yeah <laughs> 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 well, his cover version is just amazing isn't it brilliant That's yeah amazing. how do you like the rest of the Gary Newman uh, covers like Pop Lead itself doing Friends brilliant it was brilliant yeah. right well that was so good I started doing a cover version of their cover version of that song, yeah. and that led me to write another song called Pure, yeah. which is the of another album. Later so, record, yes. You know, we all feed, I think that's yeah. fantastic, we all kind of feed each other. And that's the thing about Clint Mansell too, which is great from Pop Lead itself. You know, obviously he's killing it now, like making scores for all yeah. Darren Arrows. He wrote Requiem for a Dream Pie. You know, like the yeah. wrestler, Black oh, we, Swan. We met him we, when we moved to Los he Angeles. He loves you. That's we, what we, we come out and chatted to him. Isn't he cool? Did you ever go out and hang with him? Yeah. You yeah. need to. Yeah. We got, he's we one of my close recently. friends. So we, yeah, we should call oh, him. He's great, man. He's been yeah. really good to us. And we, yeah. we went, he was doing some shows recently. Yeah, doing the whole thing with, with the string yeah. quartet. Yes. Yeah. And we went to see him in Los Angeles when he did that and hung out with him again then afterwards. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant stuff, though, what he does. He's a great writer, man. Yeah. I just think about me and him were madmen when I first went to England. In 1989, just tearing up Brighton and <laughs> Exeter, Portsmouth, and Pool. And then he came to the clubs that I DJed at in New Jersey. Now, I remember I'm getting almost getting thrown out because he was just shit-faced dancing on the bar. I love him. I love him to death. He's a brilliant, yeah, he's a great friend. But, you know, that's the funny, like, we all have the crazy history. You know, yeah. we go back. This is the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. So, Gary, so, so all right, the record was done. So then... Then Pleasure Principle came out. Cars yep. was a huge hit, you know, and it was, uh, plus your live show was really cool at the time. Like, you know, it was, yeah. uh, you guys put a lot into the live show itself. Yeah. Who came up with the idea that car you came out in? Like, uh, uh, or was that the Telecom tour? Or was that the was next Telecom. Year? Right, yeah. Telecom. Pleasure Principle yeah. came first. Yeah. The two towers. So I saw that and it looked like, yeah, the, the towers. And then yeah. you came see, back. Well, and, well, Replicas actually started out as a whole series of short stories. I was writing stories. I, mean, we, we, I was into Philip K. Dick and yeah. all that. All those William people. Gibson, the guys like that, right? And I, I who else a, did you love? Like, uh, who are you? some of the other writers? Oh, William Burroughs was, yeah. was, was a big one. Um, J.G. Ballard. Yeah. Some of that stuff. Very Asimov, cool. Asimov, you know. Yeah. What a robot. How crazy is that? How much of the shit in those books has come true? I know. <laughs> like, does it blow your mind? Yeah. How yeah. much yeah. Of Philip K. Dick stuff? Not all it, of it, thank God. Not all of it. Yeah, no, exactly. A lot of it. <laughs> but it's true. But that's you how know? it started. So when I did that first stage set, yeah. that was, all, I mean, all the songs were from the books, the stories that I was writing, which yeah. I never finished. They just became songs instead. But the stage show was from the stories as well. There was yeah. a there was a city where it never got dark. As as the light went down, the buildings just start to glow. Yeah, uh, and that's what I was trying to recreate with the first, first tour stage for touring principle. Yeah, and then the one after that was a de the telecom, telecom one was tour. The, the development of that, yeah. and that had the little car in it that would come out. Yeah, it was cool when you did that with yeah. down in the park at the end. <laughs> I love that. You know, it was great. Um, but this wreckage on that record, and then you, remember you you and Robert Palmer, he covered our, "I Dream of Wires." Yeah, remember that? Yeah, I that was cool. my first. First time to be covered, actually. I think yeah. Palmer did that. I Dream of Wires on his Clues record. Yeah. Yeah. Because you yeah. did that on that record. I love Yeah, that, he was great, know? man. He had his, he flew us out to his house. Where was it? Bahamas, I think it was. Bahamas. Probably, yeah, because he was tight with Chris Blackwell. Yeah. They were like That's brothers. A, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, put me up in his little house next to his and 
gave me a couple of songs and said, look, I've got these two. I think one was called Style Kills. I can't yeah. Remember the other one. Style Kills is a good one, too. And um, he said, look, I've got these two songs. I don't know what to do. Wasn't with that them. the B-side of his Johnny and Mary single? That's I remember, it. Yeah. 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 you believe I remember all this shit? Oh, it's amazing, <laughs> you see? <laughs> I know. You remember more about me than me. No, but it's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I love I love this stuff so much. So that was great. And Telecom was a great tour too. You know, this wreckage. You know, I die, you die. What a great single that was as well. Yeah. You know? And and then you did We Are Glass. Was We Are Glass in between Telecom and Pleasure well, We Are Glass and I Die, You Die came out as singles from those sessions, but neither yeah. of them were on the album. Yeah, yeah. They were extra songs. Well, in America, they put I Die, You Die on the album. Oh, did they? Right? Yeah. Oh, I did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, because, you know, it's just like the Beatles stories where everything comes out differently. Yeah. But, you know, but those were such great tours, and you know you know how many people, I mean, I saw, I was sitting in the fifth row, and then it was David Johansson from the Dolls over here, and Andy Warhol behind me over here at your show. And it was like, you know, I was this kid. I was like, this is pretty fucking cool. You know what I mean? It's like, but the Palladium was a great venue. Did you like playing there? Yeah, back when you I, 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 like, I love those sort of get start venues anyway. They're really good. Yeah. So, so your parents actually were here for that first tour. Your family came, right? Yeah. Well, it's for, I was very closely involved at the beginning. Yeah. My brother was in the band for quite a few years. My, oh, was he? Was, he was in Two Way Army before that? or was? Uh, no, no. He sort of joined a few years after the, the big yeah. thing happened. Yeah. He was too young before. Yeah, he was in it for years, and and then he became an airline pilot and went off and yeah. had his own sort of flying. See, training. I mean, there's there's something in the air when you guys are looking over Heathrow Airport, these yeah. kids. <laughs> you want to be pilots and do your thing, which is pretty amazing. So, but I just uh, I love all that stuff, guys. So you know, so after Telecon and you, you went in and you did dance and you did you know there were a bunch of other records that you had done at that point, but there was some really cool stuff. How was it? I mean, just going back and dealing with... I mean, you would have inspired so many artists in that period of the 80s. And then, did you ever get the nod from any of those people to come back? We know about the younger bands. You know, when I say younger, I mean Foos, Pixies, you know, everybody pop weed yeah. But how many... Any of the people that had come out... Because really, you paved... You opened the door for Tainted Love, you know, the cover myself. So you opened the door for Blind Vision and Living on the Ceiling by Blomage. You opened the... You know, even the door for Tears for Fears, you know, mm -hmm. Pale Shelter and Mad World. To me... You were the one who op opened that door. Did you ever play with any of those artists? Or did you ever get, get a nod from those guys? I, what was no. Like, no. no, nothing like that. Which, in, quite, in fact, quite the opposite. Some of them are quite scathing, actually. Which is um, so wrong. I, I, it, it, it pisses well, me off, anyway. Bothered me a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. I remember, <laughs> I, I think it was mid-year. Because uh, when I became successful over there, I, I, I was very honest about saying Ultravox had been this massive influence. Yeah, and he was in that band Slick before. Yeah. And I like, but I, I was talking about the Ultra Vox had John Fox, as yeah, a singer, yeah, and I love them and I praise them all the time. Yeah, and, and they, like rock, rock, and yeah, yeah, and, but and, and, and slow motion. Those records. Oh, that's a brilliant track. Brilliant right? song on that third record, Systems of Romance, yeah. right? No, I, they had split up. Yeah. So I'm talking about them. They, I took Billy Curry, the keyboard player, out on tour with me. After yeah. That, my first. I remember tour. that. Yeah. They reformed. But with Midjur as a singer, yeah, and then Midjur does an interview saying the only reason Gary Newman praised up Ultravox was because he stole all their ideas in the first one. I thought you ungrateful little shit. Yeah, well, first you of all, even in I it. mean, you know, I'm surprised he wasn't in it at the time. No, and you know, and I like, I will admit, I love some of their music and I love some of the songs he's written, obviously. But that's kind of an unfair thing to say. He probably they were just looking to find a great. A, a shitty thing to say yeah. but truthfully Gary your records don't sound anything like ha 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 Ultravox <laughs> 1 or the only thing that's close on that first record is I Want to Be a Machine mm -hmm. right and in slow motion was you were already doing you were already recording in that period of time yeah. you know 
Well, I, I love them. I, you know, I, I yeah. Did you and John Fox ever meet years later? Oh, yeah, something? many. Well, once then, but I was a bit in awe of him, so I didn't. Yeah, I didn't Underpass was a great song. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was it's almost like you know you you love them. I knew you loved that first record, and then like he came out, and it's like what you were doing was inspiring him then at that point, which was very cool. Yeah, no yeah. one driving and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, those are good and he had the album cover with the tubes. And... Yeah, and it was so your thing. <laughs> I went out and bought it because of that. You know what I mean? Although yeah, I it's good though. Yeah. Huh? It's good. I, it's a I real good record. Got yeah. to know John much better over the last few years, and he's great, and I love him, and he's yeah. he's still doing some really good stuff. How did you and Trent actually meet? You and Trent Reznor, because I, mean, I know time. how much you love. Because that's something he and I have always bonded over. You, we've always talked about you. I was like one of our. Pretty our sure favorite. the first time we met was it Baton Rouge, wasn't it? Baton Rouge. We did a show in Baton Rouge. And he came up with Clint Mansell, funny enough. Yeah. Um, to see us. Because they lived Rouge. together, remember? In New Orleans oh, at the course, time. Yeah. yeah it was crazy. Oh, that's right. Remember, he lived on, uh, you know, Clint lived on top of his studio for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. We knew, we knew Alan Mulder really well, yeah. who produces that stuff, and Tony Halliday, his wife, they're sort of really good friends of ours. In oh, Ireland. Curve were great, too. Yeah, I love Curve. So funny. You know, I remember I was in the studio with Maynard from Tool. He was doing a perfect circle. And we're sitting in there, and he's just mixing that first perfect circle record. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, this woman walks in with us, just like sweatshirt, like her hair's up, you know. And I'm like, God, she looks familiar. Who is that? And he goes, Oh, that's Tony. That's Alan's wife. I'm like, Holy shit, it's Tony Holly from fucking Curb. Because <laughs> I'm not used to not seeing her, you know what I mean? Like yeah. on stage, you know what I mean? Yeah. Doing her thing when she's doing like, you know, uh, things like Fate Accompli and all those great fucking tunes. Yeah. I love those songs. Do you like well, her songs? and Gemma, well, both of us really, but her and Gemma are like best friends. So. Are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Tony. I love Tony. Oh, man. Those records are great too. They're yeah. so cool. Man. Yeah, they are. That, uh, By the way, they were cool. one of the loudest bands I've ever seen. You want to? I've seen a lot. Of, you got to imagine. I've seen about a thousand that, concerts. Them, them and Corn. Yeah, that's they're right. Too loud. <laughs> them and Corn too. But you know, it's funny. I saw Curve playing on top of the Hammerstein Ballroom in that you know room upstairs, and it was definitely loud. It was unbelievable. It was just the two of them, right? Yeah. But it was yeah. brilliant. It's great know? stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Gary, tell me about working on the new record and Splinter. Like you know. When you started making that record, how how long you had the songs? Was it something you decided, hey shit, I'm gonna go no, back in and start writing? No, oh. when I, I finished the last, the, the one before was called Jagged. Yeah, that was finished in two thousand, came out in two thousand and six. Yeah. yeah, and then I got items. It's rip- amazing. It's been that many years. I know. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Fucking, seven years. Too long. You know, it's, it's, yeah, careers can come and go in seven years. Yeah, so it's, it's, it was stupid. But I got, I, I had real problems. I got into depression. We had some children. Gemma got postnatal depression. So we were. Yeah, having problems, and I, I think it was nearly four years didn't write a song, yeah. and then the cure for depression just zombies you out, and you got no drive. You don't do anything. You just sit yeah. back, and everything's cool, and you don't care. Yeah, career's going down the toilet. You're not working. Well, you know, it's a funny. Care. The interesting thing about meds too. It's like you know. I mean, I mean, obviously it helps in some ways. You know, I mean, I, I I'm not trying to sound like I'm super intelligent about the subject, but I'm just saying that like. M- Meds sometimes keep yourself alive. In other ways, it just kind of dulls everything. It dulls exactly. your edge. You That's know? exactly what happened. Yeah. You know? And so it wasn't until sort of the end of 2010, I think, maybe 2011, started to write again. Bits and pieces, but sporadic and sketchy, yeah. you know. The end of 2011, beginning of 2012, I really started. I got, I was better. Yeah. Started to write properly. And then it started to come really, really quickly. I had the first half of the album done in a few months, but then I immigrated. Yeah. Then we moved to America. So everything stopped. How do you like living here now? Love it. 
It's great, right? Love it. So, yeah. so many of my English friends have moved to California or New York. They love, you know? Yeah, well, it's a weather. You know, you the weather's for, so great you, out you there. You go for the warm weather, yeah. the ocean, yeah. and, you know, the, there's, the film industry is there. I want to get into film music. You know, well, you a, should, man. You're natural for that. Yeah, well, I hope it works. They use airline, and things like you know. Has anybody you know have they? They've used your obviously your songs in films before, but yeah, have you know? You you should be doing some scoring stuff too. Yeah, well, that's the that's. You got to talk to Clint about that and say, "Dude, I've done." Yeah, (laughs) you got to. Already, already checked Clint out. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. So you know, it's it's um, I've got some friends there who are obviously very successful at it. So uh, I've got all the. Who are some of those friends? I mean, like, well, my Trent Reznor's there, and yeah. Clint, you know, Clint, Clint Mansell yeah. was there. So, um, you know, there are people there that, that that are very, very clever at it, very good at it. Who can help me, I guess, yeah. and point me in the right direction. You know? Yeah, yeah, you'd be great. You you so deserve to be doing that, and I'd love to hear it. I'd the thing it. is, though, I still really love touring. Yeah, I love making albums and touring, and that's the thing I actually want to do forever. So the film thing for me is kind of just me having being realistic. Yeah, at some point. I probably won't be able to talk. What do you do then? Yeah. You know, so I'm thinking of, and I don't want to sort of say it in a dismissive way because it's actually a very big interest for me and I really do want to do it. But I love touring so much. I'm kind of reluctantly having to admit that some at some point it's going to have to finish and yeah. I'm going to have to do something else. But it's no time soon, that's for yeah, sure. That's good. I'm glad you're still going out and playing. How are you breaking up the sets these days, Gary? Because you have such a body of work now. Yeah. How are you well, I, I don't like what I call my middle years period. Yeah. So from mid-80s to 93, 94. I don't like any of that stuff, really. So I don't do it. you got re-inspired. I, I saw that thing you talked about with Depeche, Songs of Faith and Devotion. Yeah, I that sorted that me out. That and finding, you know, Dremo introduced me to them and Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, and i got to be honest, you know, it's funny. That record, Songs of Faith and Devotion, is in the band at that moment was also a pivotal moment in my life because that's the first interview I did on 120 Minutes was with Depeche. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. and I was filling in because Dave and Martin didn't want to host. So I filled in with them, and then I got the gig a year later. Like, I filled in with Oasis. So right. it was like, yeah. you know what I mean? But, like, that record's very important to me. I mean, I love Walking in My Shoes. It's yeah, just, uh, brilliant. That's, what the a song. One. That's the one for me. Right, isn't it? Walking in My Shoes. Li- I messed up with that gig. Eh? What? The gig you never got to go to. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were, Gemma had tickets to go and see them at Crystal Palace, was it? Yeah. yeah. Sisters of Mercy supporting. Yeah. yeah. It's just the most amazing lineup. And I didn't go. Yeah, and I love the sisters too. Yeah, I how's Andrew doing these days? Where's he living? Is he in Germany or somewhere like I that? I think so. Yeah, Hamburg. Hamburg. Yeah, those records are great too, man. Brilliant. Yeah, so good. You love know? that stuff. He and I got on really well too. He was one of those guys, like I said, like Lou, Lou Reed. Where, hey, you seen Andrew? You know he can be can be a pretty dismissive bastard to people <laughs> sometimes. But he was great to yeah. me, and I loved him. I think it was because we would talk about like Temple of Love and Anaconda and Alice in the early. Stuff and then I loved all this. I'd walk away and I think we've seen each other. Before. We have. <laughs> I know we have. You know, I remember this is the funny. You know, I talk about the early new music seminars and I just tell this story about. I'm sitting there, me and Andrew Eldridge are sitting at this in this like hotel room. It's a cocktail room, and they're going to Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears or whatever. It just it was so random. And then Marvin Gaye comes in <laughs> shortly before he died. Marvin Gaye walks. It was like it was so fucking random, but it was so great. You know what I mean? It was the same time. <laughs> But uh, yeah. Did you say Andy Warhol sat next to you to watch Gary? Yeah, Andy Warhol sat like four seats down to see Gary. I didn't yeah. know that, you know. I never I've only seen Andy Warhol at, when I was a kid at two shows. <laughs> Gary Newman and the Smiths were the two shows that I saw him at. I never knew and, uh, that. I never knew yeah. he'd been to see me. He came to see you on the telecom tour. He was like, he was in fifth row. 
That's cool. He was sitting right next to David Johansson from the New York Dolls. <laughs> so it was... Uh... I met Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley yeah. came backstage to say hello. Yeah. He's um, a nice dude. Oh, he came back that night? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was about yeah. five minutes before I went on, and I was really nervous and couldn't say much. And, yeah. You know, I didn't think I'd put myself over very well, yeah. unfortunately. But, I, you know, it was obviously yeah. very honoured to see him there. That's cool. And, you know, and the Palladium was such a great venue. Mm. It really was. You know what it is now? It's dorms. No. <laughs> it's dorms. It? <laughs> like, yeah, it's dorms. It's oh, dorms. It's so funny. And it's called the Palladium. And I'm like, come on. I saw all these great <laughs> shows here, man. I saw I saw Gary Newman. I saw The Clash. I saw so many great shows at that venue, man. Thin Lizzy with Graham Parker. Like, I just saw a million shows there. I was a kid. And uh, I loved that venue. You know what I mean? Yeah. I loved it, man. It was amazing. But anyway, so another thing I saw you talk about on that bin grabbers thing at Amoeba was Bebop Deluxe. I yeah. love, I, I didn't know that story about Bill Nelson and you worked together. Yeah. I can imagine he was very difficult. I heard he was a very difficult guy. I never met him. I don't know. He's just, but I he's, love those records, don't you? Like oh, Summer's Finish, yeah. Futurama. I mean, I was so disappointed we didn't get on. Yeah. Because I loved him. Summer's yeah. Finish, oh, what a great album. And yeah, Fair Exchange and Blazing Apostles. Brilliant. You remember that? Yeah. Blazing Apostles can help you. Oh. But you remember that phone call thing at the end? It used to creep me out. It was so good. But Best he's such a great player. player Best he? guitar player. Yeah, genius. Well, great guitar player. I'm a bit, I'm a but it's almost player. funny too because even after when your thing took off, then he did Red Noise, which to me was very, very much your thing too. Yeah, I love those songs. Though. Furniture Music and Revolt into Style. Yeah, were great. But it yeah. was definitely like you inspired a new movement at that point. So it's funny how you loved him. Well, I think that's why I wanted to work with him in the first place. It's just that he's he's very um, ethereal. Yeah. yeah, he believes that inspiration comes. He believes he actually said to me once when we actually had a, a bit of a falling out, uh, that inspiration is beamed to certain people that can receive it from across the cosmos. He actually said yeah. the word cosmos. Yeah, no one talks like that. <laughs> and I went, that's fucking bollocks, Bill. What the yeah, fuck are you talking about? Went, oh, and that was it. And yeah, we we didn't meet on an intellectual. Yeah. Level. What album was it that he did with you? Uh, called Warriors. Well, I remember Warriors. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. But he and, and a great job. He did a great job on it. Uh, and yeah, a beautiful playing. And yeah. he's a very lovely man. But he, he, yeah. he, I think he found me too um, earthy. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what the right word to use for yeah, it. Yeah, but, but I know what you mean. And that's that's the that's the amazing irony because of the songs that you were in are otherworldly in that way. But we're yeah, but that's the thing that makes them great, is that there's that connection, that's emotional connection to the songs that you've written mm -hmm. and to the music, but it, you know, it just it's that's why I love it. But it's funny about that story with Bill. I was dying when I when you told that story on that uh when you were at Amoeba Records, yeah. I was like, "Holy shit!" I, when I saw you, I, you pulled out the Electric Warrior too, which is one of the greatest records of all time. Yeah, you it's know? cool, isn't it? It's incredible. But listen, Gary, I'm excited. I want to tell everybody to pick up the new album, Splinter, and um, music from a broken mind. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, what a, I love the title, but you never fail me ever <laughs> when it comes down to it. So, thanks so much for coming by and hanging with me today, Gary. My pleasure. It was Thank such you. a pleasure to have you here, man. Uh, I mean, I, I'm almost going back into my 18-year-old body, which is a really <laughs> fucking long time ago. <laughs> but walking up to you at that table with your mom and dad, you guys were having dinner, and I'm like, "Hey, man, I love your stuff." I, you know, it was, and you were you were very nice to me, as I said, you know, oh, good. Which good. is like something, you know, I was like such a kid, but again, I I had balls of steel, and I just it was probably not the right thing to do, but regardless, it was I had to let you know how much I loved your music. Oh, thank you then, thank you now. So thank yeah, absolutely, Gary Newman, everyone on the Hivecast, pick up the new album. It's called Splinter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.